I do think that there's a point in ministry where there is like it does become excessive where it's like well come on now like it, like your goal is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction welcome to the dismantle creating community not converts Welcome to Dismantle Podcast, a place for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. On this show, we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a discussion with a guest who has insight or experience with that subject. Now, we're not always going to agree, and that's okay, but we're not going to argue because our goal is to build bridges and not barriers. Our guest today is Travis Chapel. Travis, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on, Joey? Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited we got to connect, dude. Thank you for saying yes. Of course, of course. Happy to. So, Travis, before we dive into our conversation, can you give our listeners a little bit about who you are and some of the work that you do? Yeah, sure. So, uh, my name is Travis Chapel. I am a podcast coach and course creator, as well as a founder and CEO of a software company for the um, creator economy space. Um, and uh, yeah, that's been really my main focus of late is uh, raising money for the software company and uh, getting to work on pushing that forward. That's awesome. Now, were you always involved in something like that, something uh, podcast content creation, things like that? Or was that something you sort of stumbled into? Yeah, definitely something I stumbled into. Uh, I started my I, st- I started podcasting in August of 2017. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, coming up coming up on four years now, actually. Very cool. Well, or again, we're very excited that you're with us. And, and we're going to have this conversation centered around money or finances, something the church really kind of picks one of two things to talk about. Uh, It's either that money is evil or that you should give us all that you have. Uh, But, you know, Travis, looking at that phrase, uh, I think we've all heard that that the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, We we see that in First Timothy six. What does that actually mean? How does that hit you when you hear that? Well, you know, I think that you actually said the verse correctly. A lot of people leave out the love part and and try to convince you that money itself is the root of all evil. And that is just a flat out lie. That's just not true. And it's very proven that that's not true. Uh, the love of money being the root of all evil, I can definitely get on board for that because I think that money money doesn't really provide anything beyond a certain level of income. So I think the number, if I remember correctly, is like sixty or $70,000 a year or something like that, or whatever that translates to and whatever cost of living for different countries or whatever. But for in the US would be, I think about that. They've done tons of studies on this and basically concluded that beyond having your basic needs taken care of, money doesn't add anything to your intrinsic happiness or fulfillment in life. And uh, so I, I, I think that, you know, that, that statement is, is very much true in a lot of ways. If you make money, the end goal, if, if money is the only thing that you're worried about, I think it's going to lead to a, a lonely life and uh, that's full of unhappiness and bitterness and selfishness and um, all of those types of things. And it can, you know, kind of spread like a cancer once you have that greed bug um, inside of you. But, um, but I, I do think that the majority of people who talk about that verse, take it completely out of context and use it as a way to guilt people into giving them money or into not pursuing money for their career, but instead pursuing a religious career. Hmm. Now, I think we need to define the term a little bit. We say the love of money. 
but there's also the word entrepreneur, which maybe you would identify as. Uh, how would you differentiate between what we would call a hustle for you know your your hobbies, your pursuits, things like that, and a love of money? Mm, um, I, I think that being a true entrepreneur isn't about making money. It's about solving problems and helping people. And the, the good entrepreneurs that I know aren't, aren't, um, purely focused on revenue and profit, even though that's a huge, um, metric in measuring the success of a, of a company. Uh, but rather they're focused on, helping their customer solve a big pain point in their life, which is why businesses exist. And uh, the, the entrepreneurs that I know that are more focused on solving problems for ideal customers are the ones that actually end up making the majority of the money. Um, and so I think that, I think that the love of money refers more to uh, money being your ultimate goal, like money being at the top of your priority list and nothing else equates uh, to, to, uh, to having the money that, that you want to have. And, and that to me is, is just like that to me does not explain the majority of entrepreneurs that I know. Um, most people that I know are, are very much in the boat of trying to help people. Um, and then they want a lot of money in their life, but not for the sake of having money or boasting a status or anything like that. It's just so that they can live life on their own terms. Um, and, and money is, uh, money, money's just a, a money, money's just a, a, a tool. It's a vehicle to, to build the life that you want to live. It shouldn't be focused on as the end result. If money's the end result that to me is the love of money. Like that's what makes a greedy person who's, you know, uh, like I said, ends up, ends up living a lonely life. And we all sort of start out, whether that's going to college or, or trade school or just having an idea of what we'd like to do with our lives. But you had mentioned that you sort of fell into what you're doing now. What was the original plan when you sort of hit the working world? Uh, so, well, I, I don't know how much you know about my story, but I grew up uh, very religious uh, in a, you know, I, I don't call it a cult, uh, but, it, you know, very much borderline cult um, is called Independent Fundamental Baptist. Uh, so it would be, you know, a subsect of a subsect of, of Christianity as a whole, you know, so it's like Christian, there's Baptist, and then there's Independent Fundamental Baptist. And so we were, you know, literally fundamentalists in that sense. And so I grew up in the environment like that from the time that I was three till the time that I was 21. And it was uh, a church campus that I grew up on that had, you know, the church itself, but it also had a K through 12 school and a college on the same campus. And so I went to the school from kindergarten through 12th grade, and I went to the college freshman year, senior year. So all of my schooling was done on this one campus, including my church on Sundays. And then we did something called soul winning on Saturdays, uh, which is basically just door to door sales for the church uh, that you, you know, go out and buy people to come to church the next day on Sunday. Um, and so you know, a lot of my life was spent on that one 40 acre campus living in that, uh, living in that bubble. And so uh, they, you know, had a, a fair amount of influence uh, on my life and, and the direction that I was headed in. And that's why I ended up going to the college on the same campus because I was heading for ministry and it was a purely ministerial uh, type of a 
private college uh, that was unaccredited. So I ended up graduating with a degree in Bible and church ministries was my double major in Bible church ministries. And, uh, but by the time I graduated, I realized I didn't really want to be in ministry at that point. And I kind of was back to square one. Like it, like I didn't even go to college because you know, that degree doesn't get you a job doing anything other than ministry. Um, especially adding to the fact that it was unaccredited, let alone a Bible degree to begin with. Um, so I did the only thing I knew how to do at the time, which was door to door sales. Cause that's what I had done in college to make some extra money. And I just kind of kept doing that for a while because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. And I knew that I didn't want to be in ministry. So that was like the direction that I was coming from. And then after doing door to door for a while, I knew that I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. And so I was back to square one at that point, you know, cause at that point it was like, well, now the only thing that I'm really good at, I don't want to do. And, uh, the other thing that I'm qualified in to do that I went to school for is completely useless in the outside world. So like, I'm kind of back to square one. And, and I just, at that point was just trying to figure out what was going to come next. That's, I mean, there's a level of bravery with that that I want to commend you on just to say, hey, this isn't working, but I need to find what will. And and, and that framework sort of creates this desperation, this hunger to, to find what not only will provide for you, but also what will satisfy uh, creatively, spiritually sometimes, but even just, you know, physically what's going to, to work out. And so we, you know, commend you for that. A, a quick question for you, Travis, but, you know, from the pulpit, you usually hear about tithing, which if our listeners aren't familiar, that's the act of giving to the church. Uh, But most of the leadership are not business professionals. They're not accredited in, in financial institutions. They don't have banking degrees of any kind. They have spiritual degrees similar to, similar to what you were saying with your own story. Uh, Do you find that to be problematic uh, to give funds to someone who is not a financial wizard? I I do uh, just to be blunt about it. Um, And I know that I might ruffle some feathers with this, but um, that when, when we stopped giving to the church a few years ago, that was really basically what it was about. It was just like, I could just see such blatant mismanagement of funds that it like, and I, I, to be clear, like, I don't, I I don't, I I didn't stop giving to anything and everything. I just stopped giving to the particular churches that we went to. And this is not a blanket statement, right? Like a lot of churches are good with this stuff and a lot of churches maybe deserve uh, the money and, and uh, will do good things with it. And they're wise stewards of the money that they raise. But a lot of churches, especially in the environment that I grew up in, a lot of independent fundamental Baptist churches, um, that, I mean, the, the person standing on stage is barely even qualified to be a preacher, let alone like qualified to handle, you know, amounts of money that are being given to the church. So there's so much mismanagement of funds. There's so much double dipping that happens. There's so many pastors that just use the church account for all their own expenses. And there's just, there's just so much of that stuff that goes on, man. So it's unfortunate. Um, and again, you can't ever throw the baby out with the bathwater and just paint broad brush blanket statements across the entire, you know, uh, church space or industry, whatever you want to call it. 
But uh, my answer is yes, I see a lot of mismanagement of funds there. And that is that definitely can be problematic, especially if you don't have somebody who operates from a very high integrity level that's in control of those things. Um, even at the church that I went to, there's a big blow up. And that was, you know, the church I went to is like six, 7,000 members. There's, you know, like a 400, 500, uh, maybe, maybe probably more like three or 400 uh, students school on the, on the campus. There's a publication ministry on the campus. There's a college on the campus. Like there's a bunch of things that's going on. It's a giant really quote unquote business is really what it is. And, um, so they always, so like the guy that's in charge of their finances is a very qualified, um, person to do that job, uh, because he's, you know, literally in charge of a multimillion dollar budget. And so they didn't just hire like some dude out of Bible college. They hired someone with an actual degree to do, the, do those types of things. But even in that context with multiple checks and accountability and all that kind of stuff, one of the deacons uh, who is a, a buddy of mine's friend uh, when I was a senior in high school was uh, went to went to prison for years for embezzling like, I want to say like two to three, maybe a little bit more than that, $100,000. So two, $300,000 over the course of a, a few years, because he was one of the head deacons. And so he would, you know, be in charge of, you know, kind of counting some of the ties and offerings and just would put some money away every once in a while for himself. And um, it was a big blow up that happened in the church. So even in a church where, you know, you have some of those layers built in and it's a good organization and and there's um, some checks and balances in place, you know, like there's still a lot of corruption that happens. Now, on the other side of that, you, you know, you have on the one hand, you've got the the mismanagement of the funds that are coming in, but then you sort of look around and you see these massive mega churches that seem to never run out of money, that they constantly have this flow of, of income and, you know, they've got the multi screens and expensive buildings and, uh, you know, the setups that are just out of this world. Now, some people are very okay with that. They think that that's normal and other people would think that that's excessive what's your take on some of the uh, exorbitant displays of church that we see in this country? <clears throat> yeah, that's a good question, man. I, I've done a little bit of thinking on this. Um, not, not much, but a little bit of thinking on this because I, I, I think that, I think that, uh, that if you're somebody who is a really talented, smart, educated constantly learning, pushing, growing type of a dynamic leader, then I think you deserve to get paid for the value that you're bringing into the organization. Meaning that just because you're a pastor, that doesn't mean that you should be doomed to make $50,000 a year for the rest of your life. Like, I, I don't think that that's the case. Uh, for instance, the, my home pastor to the, the church that I grew up, uh, grew up going to, um, when he came to that church, there were 12 people there. And like I've told you, there's over, I don't, I don't know the numbers anymore. I've been out of that, that church for a while, but um, you know, seven, 8,000 members, something like that. Uh, you know, when I was, when I was in college, this college was almost a thousand students. The high school was going strong. They had a publication ministry. Like they had so many things that, that he led them into from a 12 person church. And uh, so do I think that he deserves to get paid more than a regular pastor that's preaching to 200 people every Sunday and never grows the church or focuses on a, you know, building a vision or bringing a good team together and working all day every day to like see that vision come true? Yeah, I do think he deserves to get paid a lot more than that person. Um, but 
I do see uh, there's this account on Instagram. I forget what it for, forget what it is. Maybe I can um, get it to you later. You can put it in the show notes. But um, it's kind of funny because they it shows like famous pastors and ministry leaders, um, and they do research on like the different items of clothes that they're wearing and like how much those things are. And they post it on, on this Instagram account. And it's just kind of funny because you see some of these pastors that are standing on stage, you know, uh, in, in a pair of $1,200 red bottoms, uh, that they're walking around in, you know what I mean? But they're preaching to an audience that's, you know, uh, riddled with poverty. And so like, uh, I, I think, I, I think there, I think the word that you used in being excessive, I think that that happens pretty frequently. I don't know where to draw the line though. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think that that person probably gets, like I said, deserves to get paid a lot more than the other person who's never pushing to grow the church or bring in more, you know, members or, uh, or, you know, have a vision, like they're not working. They're just like getting up on Sunday, preaching something. And then the rest of the week, they're doing a couple counseling meetings and then like hanging out at home for the most part. Like, I think that person deserves to get paid a lot more than the person who's not doing any work. Um, but like you said, I, I do think that there's a point in ministry where there is like, it does become excessive where it's like, well, come on now. Like if like your goal is to, you know, uh, uh, visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. If your goal is to just like preach the message of Jesus, like, I don't like, I think that you need to have a level of credibility about you and that in certain areas, especially like more well-to-do areas, like, you know, San Francisco or LA or New York city, or, you know, some of these other places, I think you do like, you have to minister to the culture that you're in. So if you're, if you're in, you know, in Montpelier, Vermont versus, you know, Mobile, Alabama versus New York City, I, I think that the amount of spending on certain things probably should correlate to the type of culture that you're in. You know, so if you're in New York City, you're probably going to need some of those fancy screens. You're probably going to need some of those cool graphics and and uh, decent videos that are going to attract people in. You know what I mean? Like you have to kind of market to the culture that you're in. You have to minister to the culture that you're in uh, to a certain extent. But there is definitely a line. I don't know where that is, though. To be to be honest with you, because I, I'm 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 not a pastor. I haven't built a church, so um, I, I I can't speak intelligent to that. But I do think that there's a lot of pastors that are just crossing that line in just grossly obvious ways. Sure. And you know that's not to say that we could even know what their homeless ministry is like or what their sure, adoption right. programs are. Like we just can't right. know that. Or, or if that, or if that pair of shoes was a gift from one of their well-to-do uh, uh, church members, that you know what I mean? Like you don't, you don't know those types of things. Like it doesn't mean that that person's just like taking money from the church's account and going on an Amazon shopping sprees. You know, like if that, if they happen to have like three celebrity you know, members of their church and, and that celebrity wanted to bless them with a really cool pair of shoes, then that, you know what I mean? Like we never know. That's why, that's why I, that's why I say like, I don't know what the answer is because I'm not a pastor. That's why I say that because there there's extenuating circumstances in every scenario. Um, but I, I do think that sometimes the line is crossed. Right. And for the rest of us looking on, it just, it, it just creates a disconnect from exactly from what we think. And, and maybe that's on us. Maybe that's an expectations thing where we think that it should be one thing, but it's actually different. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely, it definitely makes pastors less relatable. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, but like, you know, to your point, you know, some, I think some people just need to get over it. Yeah. <laughs> and like, if you're that worried about it, go buy your own pair of shoes. And if you can't afford it, go earn more money or something like that. I think some people allow themselves to get too upset and too hurt and too, um, 
slighted by too many things. Now, Travis, in your professional experience of of building brands and uh, you know entrepreneurship and things like that, say a listener is listening and and they've got that too. They've got that interest in building something and growing, but they literally just don't know how or or don't you know I, I shouldn't say don't have the resources because we all have. Uh, infinity in our pockets now with all these cell phones. But, you know, what's one thing that you would recommend to somebody who wants to start uh, taking their financial situation serious, but just doesn't know how? Start. <laughs> that's, I mean, I know it's super obvious, but uh, that's exactly where I was, you know, four years ago or whatever, was in exa- exactly in that position where I was like, I know that I want to do something, but I have no idea how to do it or what to do or what the next step is. Like, so I just went to Google and started searching, went to podcasts, started searching. Um, usually when you're getting into something new, my biggest advice is learn and soak up information, but also take action. Uh, cause there's some people that have been like considering starting a podcast since before I started my podcast, you know, it's been like seven years that they've been considering starting a podcast or considering starting up a side hustle or considering flipping stuff on eBay on the weekends or considering getting their real estate license. And they've been considering, considering, considering for years and years and doing research under the guise of action right? Like they'll be like, oh, I am taking action because I've researched. And it's like, great, you should research, but you shouldn't research for three effing years. You know what I mean? Like you, like re- do some research, make yourself feel a little more comfortable um, about it and then take action in a direction. Just know the general area where you want to end up and start taking action steps toward that destination and opportunities are going to start coming up along the way. You're going to start learning what not to do maybe. And then next time you try something, you'll learn a little bit more about what to do. Um, But the surefire way to make sure you never get anywhere that you want to go is to just sit there and never do anything. So I tell people just start, take action, do something like buy a course, take, read a book, go to, go to an event, um, like do something in that direction. Even if you have no idea exactly how it's going to work out, like that's exactly how I was when I started. I was just like, I have no idea how it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how much money I'm going to make. I don't know what kind of business I'm going to be in, but all I know is that I kind of want to figure out how to make some money online because that seems like a cool way to, 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 to live life. So let's start heading in that direction and figure it out along the way. And that's, you know, what happened. That's awesome. And Travis, I've really enjoyed our conversation. As we sort of bring our time to a close, what's something that you think the church can do to better engage on this subject of money? You know, we've we've talked about how we've misinterpreted a verse and how we've sort of not managed things correctly. If we were going to move in a positive direction, what's one thing that you would suggest we do? I mean, I would say education is a big piece of that um, and uh, exposure into the good side of money. I, I like growing up for me, man. And, and like I said, I think it's more of an extreme situation than, than regular, you know, Christianity would be because we were so fundamental and strict. Um, but for me, there's always a disconnect because we would get told all the time in school and in chapel and in church and all these other things like don't pursue money. Money's not a big deal. Like don't pursue money, don't pursue money. But then like a millionaire would come on campus, right? And they're like courting this millionaire for a big donation so they can build a, you know, a educational building for the college or whatever. And then all of a sudden, all of the attention from the entire leadership team who are always busy and never had any time for the people like me who were in the church, all of a sudden, like they drop everything, clear their schedule for three days and they hang out with rich people that are on the campus for three days. And it was like, it was a total like, you know, 
it just seems so blatant. Like it was like, wait a second. So you don't want me to pursue money, but then if I go get a bunch of it, you want a bunch of it. Like exactly what you were saying is like, don't do it. But if you have it, give it to me. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> maybe we should do a little bit of work around this. And I think it's largely due to education. Um, and then, and then the, the, uh, the people who are usually teaching about money within a church context are usually, again, I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush here. Um, I understand that there's exceptions to this, but usually they're people who've never had any money and they're the ones trying to teach everybody about money. And that to me is just, is just the incorrect way to go about learning. You need the right knowledge from the right people, people who have actually gone out and made money and know, and know the good things that you can do with it, right? Money's just an amplification of who you are on the inside. So if you're a crappy person, you're going to be a really crappy person with money. If you're a good person, you're going to be a really good person with money. You know what I mean? So it's just an amplification of, of who you are. It's just a tool to help you, you know, achieve the things that you, that you want in life and to help you build the dream life that, that you, that you have for yourself. So I think that you need to bring in people into a church context who understand that and who do good with their money and uh, and and have them be the ones that are focusing on educating the next generation of, of you know, church kids because um, I think that what's going on right now is just, it's just a poor money mindset, man. It's a really poor money mindset. Those are great thoughts, man. Thank you. And, and thank you so much for being on the show. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how they can connect with you online and some of the stuff you got going on? Yeah, sure. So uh, you can find me over at TravisChapel.com. Pretty much all my social links, everything that I'm up to is over there. Um, so that's just Travis, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L.com. We'll throw it all in the show notes, but thank you again for being on the show. Thanks a lot, Joey. Appreciate you having me. And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. <laughs>